Our point today is this. Nothing lasts without making constant and frequent sacrifices. And uh, our faith in Jesus is kind of the same. To make it last, to make it uh, a, like a life, an existence, part of our existence, not even our part of it, our entire existence, to be Christ-like as, it, as if it's our psyche, our instinct, to the point where we don't even have to think about what would Jesus do. We just know, right, that our actions are, are, are reflective of Jesus. It's actually, it takes a lot of sacrifices. It takes a lot of sacrifices. And each day of our lives, we will be faced with making sacrifices. The passage that we're going through today is actually to be more aware of what those sacrifices are. To actually be aware that there are, oh, here's an opportunity to be self-sacrificial, right? Because sometimes, I unfortunately, I don't know about you, but me especially, we get so busy in our lives, we have our own agendas that we have to fulfill, kids to take care of, right? That we forget and neglect to actually look up, clean up our glasses, so to speak, and then say, God, where are the opportunities to, for self-sacrifice? Where are the opportunities? See, a while back, a while back, um, a long while back, Rosanna and I uh, just got married, and we decided to uh, get life insurance, right? It was life insurance, yes. And uh, so when you get life insurance, like, anyone know the process? When you get life insurance, you have to invite a doctor, oh no, a lab from Life Lab, right? You know, to do those stupid tests. Anyway, <laughs> um, so they come over to your house, or to your place, and they do these blood tests, right? And me, I thought I was pretty fit. I, I, I thought I was actually more fit than her, okay? And so, you know, I go, I'll, I'll pass this, no way, no, like, for sure, right? So then, uh, you know, they took the blood test, there was blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera. And then the results came in, and then she has a bigger discount than I did. Like, how could this be? She was shocked, I was shocked, right? Then, lo and behold, uh, uh, what is it, two weeks after, my doctor calls. And it wasn't the doctor, it was uh, his uh, assistant. And don't you hate it about the, when they say this, oh, Jonathan, you really need to come now. And I go, what's wrong? You just need to come now. <laughs> and like, don't you hate that? <laughs> you know, those, those, uh, those phone calls, those dreadful phone calls. And I go, well, like, when, right? Well, can you come in about a week? Because he doesn't have an opening. Over. But you just said, <laughs> right, to come now. It's urgent. It's like, and then so that whole week, what do you think was in my mind, right? <laughs> and then so um, anyway, Booked an appointment, the appointment arrives, and then I'm, I'm here, the, uh, sitting there, meeting with my doctor, and my doctor comes in, and then goes, oh, uh, you know, we got the results from Life Lab. apparently you were uh, having your life insurance. Well, guess why you have a lower discount than your wife? It's because you have a fatty liver, right? Your liver enzymes are a little high, it's borderline, right? So you need to change up your diet and your lifestyle. And I'm going, but I run, right? Like, I do, you know, all that stuff. What, what's, going, what's going on? Right? Apparently, I eat too much rice. <laughs> and uh, I eat too much of the white stuff. So, you know, rice, white bread, white anything, right? Like dumplings, white dim sum, anything, right? So then he goes, you got to cut all that back. I go, you know, Dr. Xi, he, he's Chinese too, we are Asian. <laughs> right? Like, cutting back rice is like literally cutting back, like, breathing. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, it's pretty much our necessity, right? But then uh, he goes, you got to cut that back, everything. Like, um, you got to cut back on all the white stuff because uh, that's going to contribute to your fatty liver and do you really want because your family history, we already know your family history, and your family history, you have a lot of uh, illnesses be below the belt. And so you got to be careful, John. Like, I don't want to see you again in another way, right, in another context. And I go, okay, okay. 
So then uh, I said to myself, okay, I gotta like uh, probably do more exercise, uh, not just once a week, not just twice a week, but three times a week. I gotta be more devoted in uh, watching what I eat. And boy, the first two years were tough, right? Because you know every every Sunday is like almost dim someday, right? Like really, almost like everything that we eat is like white stuff, like noodles, ramen, and all that stuff. It's, it was very difficult for me, but slowly. Little by little, inch by inch, the video was what it would say, uh, little sacrifices I made, I thought, I said to myself, wow, it's getting easier and easier. It's becoming more of me. And so now we don't even eat white rice, we eat quinoa, right? We don't, like, we don't even touch that stuff anymore. We hardly go to dim sum, like probably like that last dim sum that we had was probably our only once that year of the whole entire 2019, right? And, um, and I couldn't even down it for some odd reason. I couldn't even eat it. And then uh, uh, there's just stuff that just became more of me. Of course, the biggest one was ice cream. Oh, yeah. I still can't get over that one. Inch by inch. Little sacrifices, right? <laughs> anyway, and so uh, this is what I mean about my point today. You know, to make things really last, to make it be part of us, part of you, you would understand this probably but from your own uh, um, life as well. Habitually, people be telling you, make sacrifices, continue to make sacrifices, little by little, and it will slowly become part of you. Jesus is the same. Following Jesus is the same. Allowing the Holy Spirit, maybe it not be like leaps and bounds, because sometimes it's kind of hard to do leaps and bounds. But if we allow him to, inch by inch, allow him to just chip it away, chip it away, chip it away, of the, like, and re allowing us to see the sacrifices that he's seeing, like saying, John, here's one opportunity. Don't miss it. Yes, it seems tiny and insignificant, but do it now because it's good for you, and then you'll uh, get even more Christ-like. Do it. And that's my point today. And how do we get there with Luke 14? Well, let's begin. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 14, verse 1. Uh, I'll read, you guys could follow. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Technically, that term is called dropsy. All right? And Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. See, Jesus was on his way, walking along West Hastings to Terminal City Club to meet up with prominent theologians and donors and lawyers and sponsors. Right? Those are the Pharisees and lawyers. Okay? They're pretty wealthy. He's heading there. He's walking along West Hastings. Then he hits Seymour Street, you know, just past Dresso, you know, <laughs> and, then, and it hits Seymour Street. You know, that's, for some reason, Seymour Street, I don't know if you worked in downtown for a long time, but, you know, me being supposed in downtown, like, Seymour's kind of like the border between east and west, <laughs> right? And then everything changes, like, even the smell changes, you know, from stale urine to actually not too stale urine, you know? So anyway, it's like, uh, so he hits that point. He meets this guy with dropsy, and then out comes all these Pharisees and lawyers off Granville Street, you know, station, and they get, these, they're, they're watching too, right? There she's at the border. And it's a, it's a Sabbath day, probably a Sunday. And he, uh, Jesus sees this man with dropsy, and the, the Pharisees and, law, um, and the lawyers go, oh, what is he gonna do, right? It's Sabbath, you're not supposed to work. Healing is work, right? 
then Jesus asks a rhetorical question. Lawful to heal or not? And of course the lawyers uh, would say, because it's interesting when, what Jesus says, lawful to heal or not. So we all know who the audience is. Lawyers, right? The people who uphold the law. And uh, of course the lawyer says, that's a silly question. Of course it's not lawful to heal, right? But then, uh, here's the irony of it all. Where were they going again? Where was Jesus going? Dinner, right? And the Pharisees and the, uh, and the lawyers were also going to this dinner, right? Who's serving them? The Jewish people are serving them. Jewish servants. Okay, wait. Isn't serving work? You get that? Isn't serving work? Why are they forcing other people to work and they're not? Why are the Pharisees and the lawyers saying, oh, it's not lawful to heal, which means not lawful to work, but then they're forcing others to work? Here's my first point. Remember, back in the day, uh, back in that climate, to be called God's child, right, you had to follow the law to get A plus in everything, straight A's. But not just the law, like the Old Testament for the first five books, but then uh, we remember that past, for the whole 400 years, they created more laws to protect those laws. Sort of like legislations, uh, bylaws, etc. right? To make sure that, hey, if, if we keep these laws, guarantee that we'll keep the essential laws, the, the initial laws, right? And they be, it became bigger and more and more laws. So many that only the people that are literate could actually do it because you can't really read, right? If you were poor, you can't read. So the poor are left out, right? And they would say, well, the reason why you're poor is because you, know, you were probably a sinner and that's why you're poor, right? So poor people, sinners, can't follow the law, so you're a sinner, right? Next, the widows, the people with, that are physically unable or have mental illness, they too would be called sinners as well because they can't follow the law either. How are you supposed to go to the temple if you don't have legs? Right? So then they would be also called sinners as well. Right? So then these servants, they're poor. They would say, so the Pharisees and lawyers say, you know what, you guys are poor, you have no hope any way to get to heaven. You have no way to be called God's children. So you guys are, you know, that's why you guys serve us. We have the opportunity, we're the privilege, we're the entitled. We have, we're wealthy, we're not the sinners, we're the self-righteous, right? We obey every single law and we're fully capable. Therefore, we got the high ground. So we better keep our high ground, keep that status of high ground. So in order to do that, we have to make everybody else who has no chance to work for us on Sabbath. You follow? The irony of it all, right? So we, they completely lost the whole intent of Sabbath, which is supposed to give life on that day. In other, instead, they take life away on that day. You follow? And so on this Sabbath, it's like a, to them, the poor, the widows, the, the sick, the lame, the, the ones that, who can't even do anything, they're the ones who are going to serve us. And yet Jesus, what did he do? He healed the one who was called a sinner. He realigned what it meant to have Sabbath. To have Sabbath is to allow God use us to give life to those who don't have it, who doesn't have life. So today, sometimes some of the churches today, this morning, may sacrifice this worship service, go out there, go downtown east side, volunteer, and give life to others 
because that's the true essence of Sabbath. Sabbath is to give life. But these folks here, the Jews, the Pharisees and the Lords, they completely missed that. What they couldn't give up was their status, their entitlements, all the stuff that they worked for. They studied the scriptures. They followed the law to the T. They worked so hard to get the straight A's on law, and they cannot give that up. So then they don't want to risk it to, to even help somebody, because that's work. And so that they weren't willing to give that up. And so our first inch of sacrifice this morning that we see here is Jesus actually calls us to actually sacrifice our achievements, our spiritual achievements especially. Here's what I mean. Here's an example. Do we give restrictions to people on baptism? Sometimes I see Jesus, uh, us, or like us as in Christians, we give all these parameters and constraints for people to even get baptized. Oh, you have to follow this. You have to believe all of this, and all of this, and all of this. Yes, some of it is important. But man, when I looked at some of the manuals, I don't even know if it's actually scriptural. You know, like they take a lot of the passages and just modify it a little bit to formulate as one complete coherent sentence and say, you've got to believe that, right? I go, wait a minute, the Ethiopian unit basically said, I believe in Jesus, and boom, he got baptized. Like, why are we giving them all this to get baptized? Why, why are we preventing them from entering that banquet, right? Because you know why I think? It's because we have this standard now that we could achieve that no one else can and then we go you got to hit that standard in order to be in our community you got to hit that standard to come to our banqueting table that's nonsense complete utterly nonsense they believe in jesus if they love jesus and they want jesus as their lord and savior that's enough end story full stop right because we have to give that up that standard, or whatever we achieve, that, 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 like, oh, you have to memorize these certain verses, you have to recite them to this pastor, you have to do this and that, it's because all of us are doing it. Basically, that spiritual pride that we have to give up. Well, what else is there? Sometimes I hit, uh, like, uh, back in my lifetime, anyway, like when I was uh, interning over at another church, I hear small groups, and I say, hey, can you uh, uh, invite uh, this newcomer to your small group? Because uh, she's, in, she's in their age group, she's single, she's 40, and she wants to come in. Oh no, we're already on chapter 11. We can't fall back, right? We're already chapter 11 of, the, of our material. We can't invite any newcomers, right? That means we have to go all the way back to chapter one? Come on, guys. Sacrifice this. Inches of sacrifice. Oh no, we have to uh, uh, vote, uh, vote for it first. Uh, she can't come in yet. We have to make sure that we have to like her. Uh, like, uh, we have to make sure that she smells better, you know, smells good. Or, you know, reach a certain height. Like, is she a CPA? If she's not, she can't come in. Like, or she's blah, 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 blah. Right? You get it? Sacrifices. Sacrificing our own spiritual standards or whatever we think is this for our community. And we have to look at ourselves too, even communion. I'm glad that our church, our denomination, practices open communion. Like, when, if you want to participate in the banquet, come on in. Because Jesus did that. Come on in. Invitations open. But, are we, but I do sense that some of us may be going, no, 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 you got to be this, 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 this in order to even take that bread and that cup. Well, folks, I shared with you the First Baptist Church story. That sex worker wouldn't be part of the church if they were strict on those rules and preventing her from taking communion. She wouldn't be at that church right now if 
First Baptist actually prevented her from taking it. Okay, let's move on. So one, the first inch of sacrifice, we have to look at ourselves. Do we have any spiritual standards that we impose on other people? Do we judge, place judgments on them? Oh, you're so and so, or you're for this, or you're for that, or you're against this, you're against that, and then boom, door closed. We have to look at that. Okay, next. If you, uh, let's go to verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place, then, then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So, oops. so now that we know that who Jesus' dinner guests were that surrounded him, it comes as no surprise that these folks were jostling for the places of honor at the table. Right? I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. You know, when I have a uh, I hold events at the Terminal City Club and sometimes at the Vancouver Club, and then uh, we had this dinner, you know, like uh, with the guest speaker, and man, some of us like would want to get really close, like almost like touching to with the guest speaker because he's like a high repute and it's like you know it's almost like John leaning towards Jesus, right? No, you got you see these guys leaning towards the chest of the guest speaker. It's just oh so sad, and um, <laughs> you know so they, because they really want to get the get the guest speaker to know them. Well, it's sort of like this. And uh, Jesus is saying, like, uh, more of a question like this. You know all you guys are, like, who want to achieve all these laws and want to have straight A's on these laws? How do you know if another person achieved more of the laws than you? Like, think about it this way. Here's an example. Don't eat bacon. Right, that's a Jewish law, right? Don't eat bacon, right? Well, what happens is, let's say that you have been following laws and you have been eating bacon, but you have abstained from sex all your life, right? Okay, you come to the, the, uh, the banqueting table. There's one guy that abstained from bacon and one guy abstained from sex, right? Who's supposed to get that place of honor at the seat? The guy who abstained from sex or the guy who abstained from bacon? In my point of view, I think it's the abstained from bacon that had the tough, <laughs> right? <laughs> but anyway, I like, you know, like, so there's that debate. And Jesus is going, how do you know who, can, who fulfills most of the laws? How do you know who has the B's and the A pluses and C minuses when everybody comes at the banquet table? What happens if somebody says, I follow more laws than you did? Then you have to go, you see where I'm getting at? It's like, so Jesus is actually not talking primarily about heads of tables and everything. Jesus is saying your whole system of trying to figure out who's holier than anyone is flawed. Your whole system of who gets into the kingdom is flawed. Right? Because how on earth do you know who can achieve all these laws? Right? How on earth who has, knows who has the most points, merits, and everything? Uh, you know, the uh, funny thing is this past um, Friday, I had the Terminal City Club Lunch Exchange. I do a dialogue there. And I was uh, teaching people about Buddhism. Right? And the funny thing about Buddhism is that there's a thing called samsara. And samsara is actually this uh, whole idea of this cycle of rebirth, death, rebirth, death. And then you know, there's uh, dukkha, which is karma. Right? So then uh, you have to live a certain life in order to, and they believe that you get reincarnated into six different realms, right? Either it's hellish, animalish, ghostish, whatever, right? And then, uh, so then I'm like going, I ask one Buddhist at the table, how on earth do you know when you die that you achieved enough merits 
in order to get to the next level, and the next level, and the next level. And they go, and then she's an Asian, and she goes, I have no idea. And I'm like, so you're playing the odds, <laughs> right? I'm like, that's horrible. It's not thinking about the anxiety. Aren't you guys supposed to be away from suffering, yet you're causing more suffering and grief when you don't even know an idea when you die that you're going to come back as a pig, right? So you have no idea. Anyway, beyond the point. So Jesus is identifying this flawed system, yet they're so engraved in it. That, uh, that they're so engrossed in the system that they forgot how stupid it sounded, how silly their system was. That really, you're really preventing everyone from getting, he didn't have any chance of getting to the kingdom of God. And so, the next inch of sacrifice is about our paradigms, how we see the kingdom of God. Who gets in and who gets out, who's not, who's not gonna get in. We have to evaluate that, just like our previous uh, sacrifice. What are we doing that's like preventing people from hearing the gospel? What are we doing that is like just like keeping people from coming in or like just like having this prejudgment or pre already says, no, it's not worth it anymore. Like this person is far from it, right? That to get into the kingdom. All right, let's move on. If you, let's go into verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Verse 16, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the same time, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant says, what you order has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. What else do we need to continually sacrifice for Jesus? Priorities. See, I remember there are times when I said to myself, when God gives me a tug through his Holy Spirit, that he would say, you know what, you should reach out to that person. You should uh, give, give a chat, you know, like uh, I see people here, and newcomers here, and then I would go, hey, let's exchange the phone numbers in that chat. But then there are times when I <laughs> analyze it too much to a point of paralysis, uh, you know, paralysis through analysis, and then say, okay, is it really worth my time? Is he gonna be a Christian when I speak to him like this? Like as if that happens anymore. <laughs> and uh, it's like, uh, it, like, is he worth my time? He lives in Surrey for Pete's sake, <laughs> right? I don't want to cross the bridge, right? The sort of such and such, right? Is it really worth my time? And then I miss a minute, I get this conviction from God and say, look, just like what I said last week, he gives me that vision again of that missed opportunity that I had. And he goes, no, you got to take this. It's inches of sacrifice that we have to make from our agendas and our priorities. Because most of the time, what my mentor once said, 90% of ministry is actually just to show up. It's just to show up. 
you think, or sometimes we think, uh, as individuals, we think that maybe this person's not worth our time. But I remember yesterday, uh, not yesterday, on Friday, there was this lady at the lunch exchange, and she said, I don't believe in anything, right? Don't, don't try to blah, 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 right? And then I'm like, going, then why did you come, <laughs> right? But anyway, and then, so then, but then she said, I don't believe in anything. And I go, and then suddenly, the, like, one voice in my heart says, okay, there is no point talking to this gal. All right? She is completely hostile to whatever you believe in. But then there's another part, and I think it's God telling me, no, there is a point, right? Like, just shoot her an email again and say, thank you for coming, and you know, da-da-da-da, right? You never know what's going to happen, right? And I said to myself, you're right, God. You, I never know what's going to happen. It's all in your hands, right? Even those little things, is it worth our time? And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Because there are many times, yes, it's hard to uh, go to church, Yes, it's hard to go to prayer meetings. Yes, it's hard to go to some of the events that we hold. And I know, Rosanna and I know, like, a, like a, there's certain times in our lives, like children, right, young infants, it is very tough. But, I, but what Jesus is saying is, are you excited to go to these? Do you desire to go to church? Do you desire to go to places that have glimmers of the banqueting table, right? Sure, like, like Rosanna and I, sometimes we, there was a stage in our lives where Annabelle was just not giving us any sleep. But we, we both agreed, we actually desired to go to church. We wanted to go to church. We were excited to go to church. We just couldn't. We are excited. So Jesus is really not about, like, oh, you can't make it or not. It's more about, are we excited to attend banquets? Are we excited to attend things that are like the glimmers and reflections of the banqueting table of God, which is the church, the communion, the prayer meetings, the small groups, the, the elements of service to the, to the community? Are we excited to to experience those glimmers of the banquet. Because these folks here are basically saying, no, it's not exciting enough. My, 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 um, my, my marriage is more exciting, my job is more exciting, my oxen is more exciting. Like, no, Jesus says, are you excited? Or do you desire to go to the banqueting table? Where's your heart at, right? And so this, the, that inch of sacrifice is more about our interests of our priorities. When, the, when, the, when an opportunity to experience God's banquet or the reflection of that or the glimmers of God's banquet come, are we excited to just snatch onto it? Are we saying, oh, like and when, it's, when we miss it, we go, don't, right? When it comes again, I'll do it, right? Like we, we are just that excited. Or are we saying, oh, well, mm, mm, eh. <laughs> right? Like it's, oh, well, we missed it. Too bad, so bad, right? Uh, onto a, like, a, I, I think about my, my kid has a ballet lesson now. Okay, let's go over there. Right? That type of thing. Where's our priorities? We get it. And it's hard to create that habit. And that's why, just like what I mentioned as an example right in the beginning, it does take inches of sacrifice, little by little. The more we do, the more it becomes second nature for us. It's a lot easier. When these opportunities come, we become more aware when these opportunities come. And then when these opportunities do come, it's a lot easier to get excited. It's a lot easier to do it. Okay, let's move on. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Large crowds are, were traveling in, uh, with Jesus, and uh, turning to, to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. When you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to contemplate, I mean, Complete it. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. 
saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another, another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able to able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way and will ask for terms of peace. Verse 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you, have cannot, you cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It, it is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Some of us in this room may not understand or relate with what Jesus, with the audience that Jesus is teaching this to. However, some of us do. And I'm talking about the folks that have parents who worship something else or someone else than God himself, the Trinitarian God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father, Jesus, Yahweh. I have friends who have parents who are Christian and who have parents who are either Buddhists, uh, maybe they're really keen on Taoism or Confucianism, maybe it's like they uh, do ancestral worship, or just plain like my, uh, our, my friend who I met at the lunch exchange, I don't believe anything, like atheists, right? For you, this might actually hit home somewhat because of your loyalties. You claim that you are loyal to Jesus. And if you are the firstborn or the only child, and you say that, that comes with a lot of costs. Because it could mean that you may be removing your title as firstborn. And so all your privileges as firstborn are gone. Firstborn entitlements, firstborn privilege, favor, honor, whatever, gone. It could also mean financial. Because uh, I know that some of my friends, they lose their financial titles. They lose, like uh, there was a house that was bought for that person and then suddenly uh, it's gone, right? Um, That was a person that I met at the lunch exchange as well. Like she believed in Jesus, but everybody else is a Buddhist. Right? And then she was the firstborn. She got that. And then, but no, in the pecking order, they, did, they gave it to the, ne- the, son, the third child, the, the son instead. Right? Because the first two sisters are Christian. Right? Gave them nothing. So, then it t- it, so when Jesus says, yes, even your life, these folks in the Jewish tradition, in the Eastern culture, they know what that means. Because it's like that older son, those two sons, that parable of the prodigal son, that, that parable, it's just like that. They are giving up their whole life for Jesus. Seriously, all that money that's accumulated from generation to generation, and suddenly you get cut out from it because you believe in something else than they do. For Jesus, he's telling those to, that, yes, I understand. It is hard to give up your life, but your reward is in heaven. Your reward is in heaven. There is a, it is worth that sacrifice. It is worth that sacrifice to be called child of God. See, that's the extreme. So how about some of us who may not be in that world? How about some of us who may not be you know, going to lose our titles or our income or anything or our livelihood or our honor or privileges or anything? And how about the idea of getting dishonored and have no respect from your family? That could be one. Right? If, so, if, you, if uh, everybody else uh, believes in something and then you believe in Jesus and they just go, well, pff, like, you're stupid. Right? Like suddenly your intellectual level goes from here to here. Right? Can you handle that? Jesus says it will cost your life. So it is no surprise that, he, uh, that Jesus says in his parable, he 
got to calculate the cost of following Jesus. There's a lot. Inch by inch of sacrifices. And one of those sacrifices, one of those inches, is our family loyalties. Our loyalties, our privileges, our entitlements, whatever it is. Our respect, our honor, those things is what Jesus says, you're going to be sacrificing to follow me. That's hard. See, folks, it is a... um, I myself personally feel that following Jesus is hard. It is tough. This whole trying to live life sacrificially, to be always aware to help others in need, to try to like, um, see, oh, there's a guy on the street, I, should, I need to give something without any judgment, right? Those, it's very difficult. However, I wish that that, that, that clip actually played because like, this is why we have the church. We can never do it alone. We have to pray for each other. We have to support one another. I still remember there was a, uh, I had a men's group back when I was over at uh, VCAC. And in this men's group, we supported each other. We would text each other going, hey, I'm struggling with this. I, need to, I know I need to give this up. I know I need to give this up, right? And then all of us men would go, we'll pray for you now. Right? We, could, we could actually just call up somebody and say, I need prayer now. And then the, the, that person would say, I'll pray for you now. Let's do it together, brother. Right? Let's struggle together, inch by inch. We will do it together. And that's what the church is supposed to be. Do you sense that support from your group today? Do you have that support? I encourage you that if you do not, or if you do have that support, to extend that invitation to other people we may not have to find that support. Because in order to follow this, there are a lot of costs to follow Jesus. But these costs can, cannot be done, cannot be overcome alone. It can be done, though, through fellowship, through community of believers. And I hope and I pray that you will find, find that group. And if you don't, come to me, and I'll connect you with them. Because I, too, connect with me. I, too, want to pray with you to be able to receive your texts or messages or stuff that say, I do need, hey, I need you to pray for me now. And I go, I will. Some of you have. And you went, thank you for allowing me to share in that journey with you. I encourage all of you to do the same. Falling Christ is hard on your own. But when we do it together, we can do this. We can make these inches of sacrifice. Holy Spirit.